Hey everybody, I'm Nathaniel. And I'm Liz. And you are listening to the Tough Like a Girl podcast on the Fire and Water Podcast Network, which is currently um, being sponsored by The Only Living Girl by David Gallagher. You'll hear a promo for that later on in the show. And so this month we get back to good old-fashioned mainstream comics uh, with a look at Volume 1 of Mystique. This volume titled Drop Dead Gorgeous. Uh, It is written by Brian K. Vaughn, which if you read much in the way of comic books is a name you might recognize. He's probably best known for Why the Last Man at this point. Um, The art is by Jorge Lucas and and color is by Studio F's Daniel Perez Sanchez. This is, of course, a Marvel Comics release. And um, I... How much did you, did you know about Mystique outside of the movies? Uh, not much at all. I've seen the little iconic look with the like white outfit with the skulls and things like that because People of Claws played that, which are not which has not been done in the movies. I think no, but, no, the movies came up with their own look. But that is about all I've I know about her or seen. Okay. Um, Mystique for me, Mystique is a personal favorite for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm... I did know that going into... <laughs> I'm, I'm partial to shapeshifters anyways. Uh, huge surprise, I know. Uh-huh. But, like, I've always... I, yep, I might have known that about you too. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've always enjoyed, um, shapeshifting characters, and I like that her motivation is it's along the lines of magneto but she's usually working smaller scale Mm. so like magneto her goal is the liberation and protection of other mutants Mm -hmm. through whatever means she feels will work Mm -hmm. um but whereas magneto goes for very large global scale she's usually getting i mean she can get involved in that but she's usually getting involved in more localized Mm -hmm. stuff Mm -hmm. um so this was a collection she had a solo book for a while um this came out hang on if i can find it Eh. dang it where's the date uh it was it was like 2002 2003 ish Mm -hmm. um for this swear there'd be a date in here somewhere there is not. Apparently, we we don't have a right to know. <laughs> oh, well, whatever. So, um, this follows uh, her solo series, which... Oh, well, let, actually, let's back up for mm-hmm. anyone who doesn't know much about Mystique. So, th- there's what I mentioned. She has traditionally been a villain and... A foe of two thousand four. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. She is she is a traditionally a villain and a foe of the X Men. Um, she she has a lot of interesting things that have happened with her over the years. She has been at various points either a literal or surrogate mo- mother to a lot of characters. She is. I think it's confirmed. At this point, that she is Nightcrawler's mother. Ah. She was Rogue's adoptive mother back when Rogue was a villain. Hmm. Um, 
she and her she along with Wolverine she's she's one of those ones who um is significantly older than most of the other characters in these. She may have been around since the 1800s. Oh, I did not know that. But one of the benefits of shape-shifting, you can counteract aging with it. Yes. Um, she's also come up in some conversations that we've had not on air for this podcast, I don't think, but um, in terms of alternate sexualities, because she has uh, a female lover named Destiny that <laughs> Chris Claremont, what he had wanted to do mm-hmm. and he was not allowed by Marvel to do it was to have the two of them have a child and Mystique would be the father. Ah. Because since she can alter her physiology enough to be able to do that, mm-hmm. uh, Marvel could put the kibosh on that idea. Mm-hmm. But she is... And that's I think that's part of what I like about her is that she is she has at various points been explicit queer representation as opposed to simply the metaphorical queer representation that you often get with comics and and x men related stuff mm. um so that's background mm-hmm. as far as the specific story goes, this follows her being basically recruited as a secret agent for Professor Xavier. Mm-hmm. because he is at a point, what's gone on in the grander story is that the at this point, the X-Men have been outed. I mean, people have known the X-Men existed, but they didn't know that they were tied to Charles Xavier. They didn't know who they were specifically. They always went out masked. Everyone's been outed. It's all public, yep. which doesn't mean it's over, but it does mean that Charles has to be way more careful about what he sends the X-Men out to do. Mm-hmm. Because it impacts, you know, what he's trying to All his mutants. yeah his yeah. mission worldwide. But mm-hmm. there are sometimes some things that kind of need to get done, regardless. Mm-hmm. And that's where he brings in Mystique. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is. It is basically a, a coerced secret agent kind of gig. Um, some other characters who who turn up Forge. Um, who has had a relationship with Mystique in the past, turns up yeah. early on. There is a character who is actually introduced here. It's his, and he doesn't show up much after this, unfortunately, but there's Short Pack. Oh, yeah, I who's like him. her handler, who's, what, maybe six inches tall? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Um, and she is sent out on a mission to Cuba because the Castro regime has gotten its hands on some decommissioned Soviet sentinels, robots Mm -hmm. designed to hunt and kill mutants. Mm -hmm. And so um, Charles tried to go through it the legitimate way, but the the government wouldn't let him send anyone in because they don't want a repeat of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm -hmm. And so he sends in Mystique undercover to shut this whole thing down. Mm -hmm. So... That's the plot, broadly speaking. What'd you think? I really liked it. Um, I really, really like her as a protagonist um, because she is such a great... Well, she's a shade of blue, but she's a shade of gray in terms <laughs> of her morality. She could be whatever shade she wants. I know, exactly. Um, she's very cynical, but a lot of fun at the same time. Yeah. Um, and I really like that. I 
I think I hadn't realized or thought about how much she could move the organs of her bodies before. I hadn't thought about that aspect and that was really cool so that she can actually like put a gun into her body and like shift the organs around so it just kind of absorbs it. Yeah, so like, she basically she gets, creates a pocket in in herself. She gets shot at at one point, but she's able to shift her organs so that she doesn't get anything vital hit. Like I, all those little details I was like, I never thought about, but that makes sense. And that's really cool. Well, the, and then there's the thing she pulls off towards the end. Oh my gosh, yeah, where she morphs into having like four arms and two heads so she can look both directions and just be this like ginormous killing machine. And it's amazing. <laughs> and um, one of the things I like about that, because it's you always have to be careful, especially in in long running things like this, about how powerful you make your characters. Mm -hmm. Because it's hard to dial that back without massively shaking things up mm -hmm. but i like that it's established even before she does it that this is incredibly difficult yeah. and super dangerous for her to do mm -hmm. like she before we even see what she does she leads in with yeah last time i tried this it almost killed me <laughs> yeah. I, I could probably do this for about two minutes before it rips my brain in half <laughs> yep yeah um so i just really enjoyed her i enjoyed the idea of this you know, that she's being recruited by these people she doesn't usually get along with and having to work for them, including, like, her ex. And, you know, she's going in not really knowing who her person is, her handler is going to be. Like, I like the whole, like, spy agent aspect of it as well. Um, she's, she's good for an espionage kind of story, definitely. It worked really well for her. Um, I just really thoroughly enjoyed everything pretty much about it. Um, like, it, it just worked well for me. I, I also like the way that Charles was handled because the, over the years, Charles Xavier has been handled in some odd ways because starting in, oh, I guess late 90s, early 2000s, they started dirtying him up a little bit mm. as a character, which I'm okay with because if he's actually going to try and accomplish what he wants, it's, it's important that he appear to be an idealist, but... Mm -hmm. He's been around long enough that he probably would. Yeah. So, like, I like the balance here mm -hmm. where, like, he understands the importance of his image, mm -hmm. but recognizing to some degree, you know, with as best as he can, because he, like, he gives her a gun, but it's a trank gun. Mm -hmm. So, like, he's still trying to minimize the damage that's going to happen by sending her out there. Yeah, he knows. But he still knows that this is stuff that has to happen. I've seen it go overboard in other stories that have been done since this one where, like, they really made him a real bastard. I'm like, that that wasn't necessary. No. So I But I like the balance they've got in this one. Yeah. Um, the one thing I, I... I don't love the art. Yeah. It, I mean, there is definitely a little bit of exploitation for the women, but I think... The story recognizes it and recognizes she does this in order to get what she wants a lot of times. Yes. I and mean, even the other female characters, when they're presented like that, again, like Prudence in the beginning is also, you know. Yeah. No, it's not even that, like, just, it's not even, like, things like design choices. I just don't think the art is very good. Like, there's something yeah. about the faces that... 
I don't know. They just... It, what it feels like... I don't know this artist, but it feels like this is somebody's early days. This is someone who hasn't fully settled into themselves yet and is still working off block templates or something. Uh. I mean, it's... Again, it's not bad. The The layouts are good. The action poses are good. There's just something about the character renderings mm. that I just don't love. And it's and I don't even dislike it severely. I just don't really care for it. It's very honestly, it's very bland. It's there's not a lot to the to the character art in terms of of Yeah, there's not bringing much across. There's not any real beauty to it or great conveying of emotion even though there are some really emotional pieces to this story in terms of the the brother and the sister yeah some some of the some of the people that she has to link up with and get involved with when she's in cuba there's there are some emotional punches to it like, i don't want to over harp on the art because mm -hmm. it's not bad it's just not great yeah i guess i didn't notice it much but now that you're mentioning it i can see your point um yeah, she's. I really liked her as a character. I would read more with Mystique. I enjoyed this thoroughly. Yeah, I. One of the other things I like about her is I like that she's she's a fairly self aware character. Yes, that's very true. Like it, I think it gets pointed out. I forget who says it. Somebody shouts her. You you led a group called the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, and she goes back. The name was ironic. <laughs> she's yeah. And she's not afraid to go all out and, like, when she's, she, you know, she's very much faced with death and is like, well, yeah. here I go. And I'm going to go out, like, you know, spitting and <laughs> kicking and with my forearms and, like, you know, she's, no, she, she does not hold back. No. I love that about her, so. And, you know, I will, I will always enjoy this character because this, this is, she's not a good person. I mean, she's not, but she... But she's also not a bad person. She's not a she's monster. Just... She she has a cause that she believes in mm -hmm. enough that she's willing to do horrible things. Yes, yeah, she's very Machiavellian. Yes. <laughs> to a D. She's yeah. very Slytherin. Yeah. <laughs> and that's... Which, again, may very well be part of the reason why I like uh -huh. her so much. Yes. Shock of shocks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I've actually got another volume of this I might loan you just to read. Oh, I would um, be willing to do that. Yeah. Don't know if we'll do it on the podcast, but, uh, yeah. So this is a relatively quick one, folks, because it's a, it's a pretty straightforward as far as getting into what it's about and it's good. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're going to take a quick promotional break and we'll be back with some listener feedback. Mm-hmm. From David Gallagher and Steve Ellis, the award-winning team that brought you The Only Living Boy, comes this thrilling new action-adventure series, The Only Living Girl. Hi, my name is Andra. People call me Z. I was a normal girl. I loved science, my bear, and my dad. One day, tragedy struck. But that wasn't the end of my story. I awoke in a patchwork world 
filled with mermaid warriors, insect princesses, robots. A world created by my dad, who had become a mad scientist. Now I'm stuck in a world that doesn't trust me, in a conflict with my father's creations. Luckily, I still have my friend Eric and my bear. I am the only living girl. The Only Living Girl, Volume 1, The Island at the Edge of Infinity, is available now in both hardcover and paperback from Paper Cuts. Okay, so we're back, and while we were away, Liz thought of something she had wanted to mention. Well, um, so we've had this conversation before. In the beginning, um, one of the characters, Prudence, um, and uh, this man she's talking to and kind of like sparring with um, are discussing the Beatles versus the Stones and who's better, and... She, she says what you think is the wrong answer, which is the Beatles. And I think they're both the wrong answer because you just add the third option of Queen being the best band and then done. <laughs> like, that is my answer. Well, always. can we just agree that she's not right and that's why she had to die? Oh! <laughs> wow, that was harsh. That went dark. I'm sorry. Oh, wow. <laughs> and yet you're laughing at your horrible answer uh, uh, we're gonna get so much hate mail from Beatles, Beatles fans. fans oh yes, god so that one you took on yourself oh yes. boy okay so feedback that's on you my friend uh, <laughs> feedback from the previous uh episode last month we talked about the graphic novel adaptation of Coraline mm-hmm. uh and first piece of feedback is from Ryan Daly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, He said, P. Craig Russell, this was the artist and the adapter of it, has been in the comics industry for decades, but known primarily as an inker. He bopped around Marvel and DC, working uh, lots of different books and characters, but I don't think he ever had a really long, sustained run on a single book, except for maybe Elric by one of the mid-level publishers in the 90s. Pretty sure that was a Dungeons and Dragons related book. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, Ryan continues... I'm most familiar with his pencils on a string of Ant-Man stories in Marvel feature in the 70s and as an inker on one or two issues of Secret Origins. I have no idea if he's well regarded in the community or if he's known for a particular style. I've never seen one from what little of his work I've read. <laughs> Do you want me? To yes, please. <laughs> Nice job being a mansplanguin there. (laughs) So we have this thing in Geekdom Club. So I have, or Fandom Club, we call it both. Um, I have a group of middle schoolers and we have a fandom club. um, Or it's it's technically part of our school day that they can opt into. And one of them drew a penguin. He was like drawing this whole series of penguins. And one of the other ones titled it Mansplanguin. (laughs) (laughs) Which I love, and I laughed so hard, and for like a solid five minutes over Mansplanguin. <laughs> I was always like, "Ma!" <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I I love Ryan dearly, and I know he's geek explaining and not hopefully mansplaining. No, but, I but mean, it does sound like a Mansplanguin. <laughs> <laughs> you also Mansplanguin sometimes. I I, I do yes. Or geek explain. Yes, as the case may be. <laughs> You want to take the next one? Yes. 
All right, Tim Price says, I haven't read the book or this graphic novel, but did enjoy the movie. Definitely an intriguing take on the story. Guess I have another one to add to my list. Uh, in parentheses, checks how many years until I can retire. <laughs> Sigh. <laughs> Sorry it's such a short note this time, but know that I love the, the episode as always. I can count on you both to brighten up my day. Yes, really. Till next time, my punchers. Ah, thanks, Tim. Thanks, Tim. Um, I do really like, you know, all the versions of Coraline. They all have their own flavor, like yeah. the, the book, the the actual book, the the graphic novel, and then the movie. So uh, they're all great on and have similar, some very different artistic styles or different ways of approaching the story. But just it's it's a great story to play in and a great creepy world to play in. And finally, Brian Linton wrote in and said, Like Tim, my wife and I watched the movie when it came out on DVD, but I haven't read the novel or graphic novel. In all honesty, I didn't know or had forgotten that the movie was based on a book. I don't believe my daughter watched the movie with us, but I'll have to double check with her on that. If she didn't, then I'll have to figure out how to best introduce her to Coraline through the book, the movie, or the graphic novel. These are tough decisions that really put one's parenting skills to the test. <laughs> Thanks for an excellent episode. Um, ooh. That is, I think... Oh, that, as a parent, yeah. I think that... I don't think there's really a wrong answer. I I'm not sure there is. I think I would say... Um, if, if you think she would read the novel proper, mm -hmm. then to do the not do the graphic novel until after having read the novel, since mm, the graphic true. novel is such a direct uh, adaptation. It doesn't really add or subtract anything narrative wise. Mm -hmm. It, it just give, it, if you read that first and then read the book, you're just going to have those images in your yeah, head. That's true. Whereas if you read the book and then read that, mm -hmm. you know, you, you get to experience the story again now with these visuals and I, you can either do the movie before or after because the movie is different enough and certainly visually distinct enough from mm -hmm. the graphic novel that you could either do that at the front or the back. Yeah. Yep. I I have to say, too, I mean, it really is my favorite of Neil Gaiman's books. Um, I Though it was funny because I was talking with one of my eighth graders and she really likes Stardust, and which I do like, and it's probably my second favorite, but I'm like, I don't know how much I like his adult novels. Well, you haven't read that many. Um, the only other one you've read is American Gods, which I know you didn't like. I did not like. I know. It meandered far too much. But I think he's... I, I like what he does with younger audiences or YA audiences, which is kind of where I feel Stardust falls. So, right. yeah. So that'll wrap up for this one, folks. Um, thank you very much for listening. Remember, if you enjoyed the output on this network, you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. And and if you um, contribute at certain levels, you can even get a shout out on the show of your choice, such as our friend Carolyn, who has chosen to support Tough Like a Girl. Thank you so very much. Thank you. So that'll be it for this one, folks. I don't think we've decided what we're doing next month. Um, no, I'm not sure. It's we'll a figure it out. It's a surprise for everybody. Woo! See you then. Bye. Bye.
Tough Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production and a presentation of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on the Facebook page for Fire and Water Podcast and Council of Geeks. Our logo art was created by Nick Buxom, and our theme music is composed and performed by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Bye.